Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for February 9th, 2020. In today's message, we turn to the Old Testament to set the context for Jesus' epic conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We note God's method of interaction with his people throughout history and follow the pattern to the only interaction that guarantees access to the kingdom of God. So grab your Bibles and follow along with us as we explore God's word here on Followers of the Way. All right, we're in John chapter three, um, talking about Jesus when he met Nicodemus at night. We looked at, let's just look at it, John 3, 1. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God was with him. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What we talked about a couple of weeks ago, looking at this passage is how that Nicodemus came, who he was. He came to Jesus talking about miracles, talking about where God was from. But Jesus, knowing his heart, we saw at the end of chapter two, Jesus immediately went to the problem. He immediately went to the situation. He said, listen, Nicodemus, the real reason you're here, because you need to understand this. He was a Pharisee. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. Jesus rocked his world by telling him, listen, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And we looked at that phrase a couple of weeks ago, born again. And we saw that in the original language, it was the idea to be born anew and born from above. It was two things in that. And so Jesus said, in order for you to be part of the kingdom of God, you have to be born anew and you have to be born from above. The fact of the matter is that your natural birth, who you are in essence, is not enough. As a matter of fact, we talked about has, how that who you are originally is what the problem is. So in order to believe, which is the title of the series we're looking at, in order to believe the current you, the current me, the current humanity must be slaughtered, murdered, must die. The current me are rebels. We talked about that. We're rebels toward God. We chose our way over God's way. We are condemned, Jesus said, in the, as you continue to read in this chapter. And last week we talked about, notice how he didn't say you need to find Nicodemus, you need to find your destiny. Or Nicodemus, you need to find your purpose. Or Nicodemus, you need to become a better version of yourself. Or come home, Nicodemus. Come where you belong. No. He said, you, Nicodemus, are the problem in this current state that you're in. And so this you needs to die, and you need to be born anew. Whole new you needs to be here, and that birth needs to come from above. It has to be a transformation from the this, that person who stood in front of Jesus, the person, each one of us, when we stand in front of Jesus, there needs to be a transformation a new creature, the Bible says, a new nature, new habits, new tastes, new desires, new appetites, new hopes, new fears, new worldview, new talk. All aspects of my minus, my oluness needs to die and replace by the life of Christ. And once I do that, once I'm born again or born anew and born from above, then I, according to the scriptures, according to Jesus, can participate in the kingdom of God. All this and nothing less is implied. Now, I want to touch on something. I want to clear up something I said last week. Not clear it up, but just more, put some more clarification to it. I mentioned about what Jesus did not say. He didn't say, come home. He didn't say, find your destiny. He didn't say, you need a personal relationship with me. It may have came off the impression that we don't need a relationship with God. That's not what I was saying. What I was saying is that our problem is not that we don't have a personal relationship with God. That's not the problem. That's a symptom. 
because of my current state, because of the problem, there is a symptom. Symptom is I won't go to heaven. Symptom is I don't have a personal relationship with God. And so when we're witnessing to people, when we come to them, we want to make sure we don't address the symptom. Okay, sure. We need to be better. And so when people say you need a better version of yourself, yeah, we need to be better. We need to do good. But that's not the problem. We, as one gets saved, one becomes a Christian, one reads the word, one grows, one prays. Well, what happens is that the God of the universe and you will draw closer together because you're drawing closer together to God. And so in a metaphor of personal relationship, yes, throughout years and times, you can develop a relationship with God, a relationship with Christ. But that is after you fix the problem, okay? And so the initial problem is I don't have a personal relationship with God. That's not the problem, that's a symptom. Like somebody was sick, they have a fever. The fever is not the problem, the fever is a symptom. The fever is telling your body that something's wrong, you need to fix it. The problem with humanity is that we are condemned, the wrath of God is on us, we have chosen our way, and because of that, we're doomed for destruction. That's the problem. When we witness to people, when we understand ourselves, we need to let people know what the problem is and not address the symptom. The symptoms come later. Later, we can talk about, you know, it's not the problem. Listen, you know what? You're not reading your Bible. No, they can read all the Bible they want. If they haven't killed their self and replaced that self with a new self, then all the Bible reading, all the coming to church, all the love of God means absolutely nothing. And so I wanted to clear that up a little bit uh, when we're talking about relationship, personal relationship with God. As a matter of fact, when we look at how God deals with humanity, the Bible is more consistent showing that God deals with us in a thing called covenants. Okay, God, when you look throughout history, when you look throughout the Bible, you see that God deals with man in covenants. Matter of fact, let's look at a couple of them. Turn with me to Genesis. Whenever you want to know the start of something, or whenever you want to know what the original idea of something was, go to Genesis. So when we look at how God talks to humanity, or how God deals with humanity, you see in scriptures that he deals with them in covenants. A covenant is the most solemn, the most serious, the most focused agreement made between two people. Uh, and in the Old Testament, and actually in, in olden times, whenever there was a covenant, so you have a promise, I promise something, okay, cool. But if you say, I'm gonna make a covenant with you, oh boy, we're on a whole new level now. And if you look back in the Old Testament and back in the day, when there were covenants, these special, specific, serious, solemn arrangements, agreements, or promises, they were always ratified with blood. When you look at this Old Testament days, if I made a covenant with somebody, I would take an animal, I would kill the animal, uh, we would spread the blood, and the two parties that are making the covenant together, we would walk between the blood of the dead animal. And that would signify that this is a sign that this covenant that we have, we're going to keep it. So that's what used to happen. So when we look at covenant, these promises, a relationship or agreement between God and his people in terms of the plan of action God is going to carry out. And when you see in the Bible, these covenants are sealed with blood or there's blood involved in these covenants, that means that, oh my goodness, we're on a whole new level of covenant now, okay? This is a serious, serious one. So when we look at some of the covenants, first one is in Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. How does God deal with humanity when we look in the Bible? He has these special moments of these covenants that he talks with them. There's the covenant he made with Adam called the Adamic covenant. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, they had eaten of the fruit. God came. He showed up. He said, listen, because of this, we're going to do some things. He talked to the snake. 
He talked to the man. And he started talking to the woman. Let's go to 14. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility. King James says enmity. I'll put a problem between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. I said, I'm going to put an enmity, a problem, hostility between you two. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So this offspring, this seed of a woman is going to show up to destroy Satan. God said, I'm going to send someone, the seed of a woman. And that someone he sent was Christ. And so all the way in the beginning of time, God said, listen, I will. I'm going to do this. I'm going to promise you this. This is what I'm going to do. Made a covenant. Now we get to some of the more detailed covenants. You turn a couple of pages over to Genesis chapter 8. You get the covenant he made with Noah. I don't know if you call that the Noahic covenant. I may have just made that up. But it's the covenant he made with Noah. And we know about this in Genesis chapter 8. So what happened? Man is sin. They're going crazy. God said, I'm going to destroy the earth. He sent a flood. Waters came from the bottom. Waters came from the top. Everything was dead except for those that God had saved in an ark. It was eight people and a whole bunch of animals. They got out. Chapter 9. God made a covenant with Noah. Verse 8. Let's look at 8. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. That's the rest of us. Remember, it's only Noah and his family. And so all the descendants, that includes you and me, I'm establishing this covenant with you, with every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, wildlife, and all the animals of the earth that come out of the ark. I will establish my covenant with you that never again will every creature be wiped out by flood waters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And so God said, I'm going to make a covenant, a sincere, solemn agreement with you, humanity, that I will never do this again. Now, I told you that some covenants are kind of ratified or, or, or done with blood to show the seriousnesses, but also covenants also sometimes come with a sign. In this case, if you keep reading verse 12, God said, and this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature. I place a rainbow in the clouds. And so we talk about when we see a rainbow, that is a sign, a sign of what? A sign of the covenant. What's the covenant? Covenant is an arrangement, an agreement, a solemn agreement that God has made with humanity. And he said, every time you see the sign this sign reminds you of the covenant, the agreement that I have with you. Matter of fact, notice in both of these agreements, we're not agreeing to nothing. This is God agreeing. This is called an unconditional covenant. God didn't ask us to do anything. He said, listen, I'm going to make a promise to you that this I will never do this again. And here is the sign. And so we have the covenant he made with Noah. Then we get a little more detail to the covenant he made with Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 15. These are covenants. This is how God communicates with humanity. Notice with each one of these, God is making an agreement with humanity. He told Adam and them, he said, listen, I'm going to send a seed of a woman. Women don't have seeds, women have eggs. So what's the seed of a woman? That means a woman is going to give birth, have a seed inside of her that a man's not going to put there. That's incredible. Yes, it is. It's called the virgin birth and Mary. And so she had a child was born to her without a man's involvement. That child was the Messiah, Shiloh, 
Okay? The lion of the tribe of Judah. God promised in Genesis, he made a covenant that I will send the Messiah, and he did. God told Noah, I made a covenant. I will not destroy the earth with water again. And to show you, here's a sign. Look at this bow. So we come to Abraham. And in Abraham, in Abraham chapter 15, in Genesis chapter 15, you have the Abrahamic covenant. This covenant, God told Abraham that you're going to be the father of many, many nations. And you look at 15.1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your reward will be great. Drop down to verse 5. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you're able to count them, then he said, your offspring will be that numerous. Then the Bible said, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. And we could get all day into that verse, but I won't because it'll get me excited and I'll take me to Romans. I'll be in Romans chapter five and six and we'll never get through the book of John. So we're just going to keep reading. So God's making a covenant with him. He's telling him this is what's going to happen. Look at verse 17. When the sun has set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared. Oh, let's, you know what? Let's go up just a little bit because I want to show you what happened. So God made this covenant. He made this promise, this Abrahamic covenant to Abraham. He said, listen, you will be the father of many nations and your nations that come from you will be blessed. That's the promise. So God said, in order for me to show you the sincerity of this promise, I'm going to enter some blood in this because where there is blood that is referring back to showing the power or the impact of this covenant. And so you go back to um, where did he start dividing the animals up? Uh, look at verse nine. He said to him, bring me a three year old cow, a three year old goat, a three year old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought these. He cut them in half. Then blood is everywhere. Laid the pieces opposite each other. The birds came down to get the carcass, but Abraham drove them away. And so he took these animals. He cut them. The blood was everywhere. He put them on each side. And we talked about how they solidified covenants back in the day. Verse 17. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, I give you this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, and the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and a bunch of other ites. The smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. Notice who walked through the animals. God did. He didn't have Abraham walk through. He walked through. Why? Because this covenant, this sincerely solemn promise that he was making had nothing to do with Abraham. God said, I'm going to keep this on myself. And so God made this promise. Now, this promise or this covenant was again ratified and sealed in Genesis 22. Remember, we talked about blood. It's got to be shedding the blood to show that these promises or these covenants to seal them. And so God told Abraham to take his son Isaac to sacrifice him. So he took him, went up. Isaac says those famous words, Dad, I see the fire and I see the rope. I see the knife. I see everything for sacrifice, but where is the lamb? And then Abraham told his son, God will provide the lamb. And so when we get that, he started to kill him. And then God says, stop. Because of your faithfulness, because you have done this, look at verse 15. Genesis twenty-two fifteen. 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn. 
This is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. God made a covenant. He said, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do this by myself. Those were unconditional covenants. By the way, Paul tells us, and the Bible tells us that circumcision was a sign of that covenant. Okay, Paul tells us when we look at the New Testament, but we talk about signs. The sign of the Noah's covenant was a rainbow. The sign of the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. Why did they have to get circumcised? Oh, God used circumcision as saying, this is a sign of the covenant I made with you. So anytime you see circumcision, you recognize you're circumcised. When you talk about circumcision, what is that? That's a sign to remind you of the covenant that God made with Abraham, that he would bless his nations many, many nations before. So those were all unconditional covenants, how God dealt with man. When we get to Exodus, God gives another covenant, but this covenant is conditional. And we get that once we get to Exodus chapter 19. And we start going from 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24. We know the story. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. They came through the Red Sea. They were so excited. Pharaoh's army was dead. And God said, okay, I have rescued you from Egypt. Now it's time to have a conversation. This is a whole new people, whole new people group. I'm going to give you some laws. I'm going to tell you my heart. I'm going to tell you how you're supposed to live, think, act, do. And I'm going to give you these laws. So he took Moses. He put him on the mountain. Before he did that, he said, listen, get the people together. Tell them to concentrate themselves, to pray, to get pure, and come to the mountain. And I'm going to show up. God showed up on the mountain. Mountain shook. There was thunder and earthquake. People were like, ah! Moses, you go talk to God. This is too much for us. So Moses was like, all right, bet. Moses went to the mountain. When he went to the mountain, God showed up, gave him two tablets, and those were the law, the Ten Commandments. Those were the only commandments. That was just the 10, the highlights, the top 10 that he wrote. He put them on stone. Moses came down and said, this is what God said. And there was a commandment of God gave to the people of how they are to live, how they are to conduct themselves. And so when we get to Exodus chapter 24, verse 1, there's a covenant ceremony in Exodus 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, go up to the Lord. You and Aaron, Nabat, Abidahu, and 70 of the elders and bow and worship at a distance. Moses alone is approached the Lord, but the others are to go, are to not approach, and the people are not to go with him. Moses came and told the people. This is after God had given them all the laws. Moses had told the people all the laws. So you got chapter 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23. All these laws that God told the people to do. God said, this is what you will do. Verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the commandments of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded. All the people responded with a single voice. We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. And then he sacrificed. And then look at verse uh, 6. Moses took half the blood and set it in basins and the other half of blood and he splattered it on the altar. Looks familiar? The splitting the blood on each side. Verse 7. Then he took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. 
They responded, we will do and obey all God has commanded. And so Moses took the blood and he splatted it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that God has made with you concerning these words. So this covenant was conditional. God said, listen, you do this, I will bless you. You don't do this, I will kill you. Simple. And the people said, oh, we're going to do that. <laughs> and they made a covenant with God. And there was the blood showing the power, the significance of this covenant. This covenant was two parties, though. This was God and man. And so for this covenant to remain intact, God had to keep up his end of the covenant, which you have to worry about. I was about to say God is faithful. But man, humanity had to keep up our end of the covenant. And we know what happened. Israel failed and failed and failed and failed. And that covenant that God made with the people, that Mosaic covenant, was broken, not because of God, but because the people did. It was a conditional covenant. Here's the law. You obey. You get blessings if you obey. You will be cursed if you disobey. And the blood was shed to show the significance of this covenant. This is how God dealt with his people. Then we slide off a couple of books to 2 Samuel. So we have Adam's covenant. We got Noah's covenant. We got Abraham's covenant. Then we get to 2 Samuel. That Mosaic covenant has been broken time and time and time and time again. But God is saying, you know what? I'm still going to work with you people. I'm still going to work with you people. Even though you spit in my face, even though you decided not to keep your end of the bargain, I'm still going to work with you people. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David is like, listen, why am I chilling in this nice fancy palace? But God's house is still a tabernacle. Remember, they were still walking around with a tent. Well, they weren't walking around. They were actually in Jerusalem there. So there was a tent there. And, she, and David was like, look, I shouldn't be in this extravagant golden palace and we go worship God in a tent. I'm going to make him a house. And God said, that's cool. Appreciate it. But you didn't kill too many people, David. So we're going to have your son make me the house. But you can get all this stuff together so he can make it. And so that's what happened. He was going to make a house for God called the temple. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting at verse 12, Lord looks at David and said this. So this is Nathan the prophet talking to David. God's going to make a covenant with David. When your time, David, comes and you rest with your fathers, when you die, I will raise up after you your descendant. Notice a singular word there who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Watch this word forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with the rod of men and blows of mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house, David, your kingdom will endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. God made a covenant with David. So David's son was Solomon, but Solomon died. So that God said you forever in this kingdom. What happened? What God was doing, he was saying, listen, I'm going to fulfill this in your immediate son, Solomon. But when I say forever, I mean that your line, the descendant of David, will always be king and always will be ruler. As a matter of fact, will be my king and rule my kingdom. 
And the kingdom of God that he was referring to, that ruler, was again the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so we know from the Bible that Jesus was a descendant of David. Jesus, God told David and said, listen to David, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm going to make this solemn agreement with you that the Messiah will come from your line. He will be your great, 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 great grandson. And his kingdom will be established forever. So all through history, God is saying, listen, I'm going to send this person. They're going to come and it's going to be a promise I'm going to make with you. I'm going to send this person. I won't destroy you this way. You're going to get destroyed, but not this way. I'm going to send you obey these laws and you do this. I'm going to bless you. All these comments and all these blessings and all these covenants that God is making throughout history with man. He says a couple things to David. He said, your house, your kingdom and your throne. He talked about that throne will be established forever, eternal and unconditionally. This, by the way, was an unconditional covenant, an unconditional promise that he made. And that promise was fulfilled in Jesus. So why are we talking about this? What happened here? Why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about these covenants, how God dealt with man? We started off with Abraham. I'm sorry, with Adam. He then made a covenant with Noah, talking about humanity. He then made a covenant with Abraham, talking about humanity. He then made the covenant with the people of Israel and Moses, talking about humanity, how he's going to deal with humanity. Then he made a covenant with David, talking about how to deal with humanity. But each one of these covenants, how God dealt with humanity, was going to engage with a new covenant. Turn to Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, Old Testament, chapter 31. God has been making these covenants. He's been making these agreements with humanity. He's been spilling a lot of blood to show the seriousness of these agreements. He's been picking signs. He said, I will show you a sign. This will be a sign that this is a covenant, that I will keep my word. This is how I'm going to deal with you, humanity. This is how you're going to be blessed. You're going to do what I say. You're going to follow these things. This is a covenant. We messed this one up. Only a conditional one we had. We messed it up. And so Jeremiah comes and God says in Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm really excited about this. Jeremiah 31, God is talking. He says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant. Somebody say new thing. Don't, don't say new thing. Just, just, that was just the time to do that right there. This is perfect placement for that one. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with them and their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. So God says specifically, hey, I'm going to make a new covenant. It's not going to be like this one. Because this one got jacked up, okay? I said I was going to do something. Y'all said y'all going to do something. Y'all definitely didn't do it. Y'all got cursed. Y'all got killed. So many bad things happening. God said, told Jeremiah, I said, tell him, I'm going to make a new covenant. It's not going to be like this one. Walk with me now, folks. He said, I'm going to make a new covenant. It's not going to be like this one. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. Instead, 
This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel on those days. Watch this. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their iniquity and never remember their sin. God said, listen, this covenant here, it says you do this, keep this law, I will bless you. You disobey this law, I will curse you. God said, listen, that didn't work. I'm going to bring a new covenant. Not that didn't work like he was shocked. All this was leading toward this new covenant. The new covenant, watch what he said. He said specifically what the covenant was going to be. He says, I'm going to take my law and I'm going to put my law, my words, my teachings, my instructions. I'm going to put that inside of them. Notice with the old covenant, where was the law? God wrote it on some stones. He wrote it on stones and they had the law and it was outside and they had to try to keep up with it. They had to try to obey it. God said, this new covenant, I'm going to write it not on stones for you to read and try to do. I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to put this inside of you. He said that, and I will put my teaching inside you and write it on your hearts. And then he said, I will forgive their iniquity and never remember their sins. With this one, it said, God said, I'm keeping track. You do right, you get blessed. You do wrong, I'm going to curse you. I'm going to remember when you do wrong. This new covenant, he said, listen, I'm going to forgive you and I'm never going to remember your sins. Why? Because I'm going to take my law and I'm going to put it inside of you. I'm going to write it on your hearts. It's a new covenant that he's talking about. The old covenant was to control conduct, Warren Risby said. The new covenant was to change character. This new covenant, God said, is going to be inside of you, who you are. It's not an outside thing. The old covenant had no power. The old covenant, this ain't coming into power. God said, do this and you live. Don't do it, you die. You going to help me, God? Nope. Go. We couldn't fulfill that covenant. Though we tried. We came up with laws and laws and the Pharisees came and said, we're going to do this. We're going to eat this. We're not going to do this on this day. We're not going to do this on that day. All those things happened and God said, no, nah, that's not it. I have a new covenant where I'm going to take my words and my law, and I'm going to put it on your heart. The old covenant came with no power. The new covenant came with power. The power of God. God said, I will. Notice he said, I will write it. Y'all had y'all chance. <laughs> I will forgive. I like when they say write it on your heart. The heart is the control center. Think about that. You been, anybody been to the airport before? Think about the air traffic control. You know the air traffic control, right? In the middle of the airport, there's this big... Thing. And what air traffic control is it monitors all the airplanes that are coming in and out. And so I have an airplane uh, that's coming in here. Okay, got an airplane coming here. I got another airplane coming here. I got another airplane coming here. I got an airplane coming here. Airplane coming here. I got an airplane coming here. I got an airplane coming here. All these planes that are coming, the air traffic control say, okay, uh, number three, you come in and you land here. Number four, you move over to the left. Number six, make sure you are two feet above the ground. Number seven, make sure you stay maintained at 450. No, you can't land now. I need you to loop a certain more time, blah, blah, blah. The air traffic control is what controls all of this. It keeps everything steady. It controls everything. So when God says your heart, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the control center of you. 
What controls your emotion? What controls your thoughts? What controls your will? What controls your desires? What controls your attitude? What control how you respond to things? What controls your fears? What controls your reactions? This is the heart. The Bible said, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take and put my law on your hearts. Now your heart is gonna have my law. So my law, my words, it's going to be what's going to be controlling your emotions, your reactions, your thoughts, your attitude, your desires, your fears, your will, how you respond to things. That's a new covenant. The old covenant said that this piece of paper was going to control that. God said, no, the law, what I'm writing here, I'm going to put it on your hearts. Your character, your ethics. Yeah, remember, that's the problem. A couple of chapters back in Jeremiah, God said that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Our problem, and that's why we get into John three, our problem was God gave us the law. We tried all to do all these good things, but the problem was our heart was deceitful and desperately wicked. And so the inside of me, what controlled my emotions, my will, my reactions, how I looked at people, how I thought, that was deceitful and desperately wicked. So I could do all the good things. Thou shalt not kill. All right, I ain't gonna kill nobody. Thou shalt not steal. Okay, I ain't stole nothing. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Nope. Thou shalt not do this. Okay, I did all that. I'm good, right? Nope. Why? Because your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And so God said, this new covenant, I'm going to write my laws on your heart. And now what controls you on the inside will be me. Therefore, I can now forgive you. He couldn't forgive this because it's deceitful and desperately wicked. You keep reading that verse, uh, Jeremiah 17, everybody says that verse, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, who can know it? If you read the next verse, though, verse 10, say, God said, oh, I know it. I'm the one that knows it. And by the way, what I do, Jeremiah 17, 10 says, what I do is I take your heart and everything that you do, I give you what you deserve for what you do. <laughs> so because you're deceitful and definitely wicked, I'm going to give you what you need for that. And that's why the Bible said that the wrath of God is on you. Why? Because your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And so God's wrath is on you and we are condemned. And so God, Nicodemus showed up and said, I like what you're doing. Jesus said, that means nothing. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, Nicodemus. And in order for you to experience the kingdom of God, this has to die and a new one has to come in place. That's in order to believe. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. And he took the bread. This is Jesus with his disciples. And he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said to them, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. We did this last week. Verse 20. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper and he said, watch this. This cup is the new what? Covenant. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This new covenant that God made that said, I'm going to change this heart of yours. That covenant was a serious one. It was so serious that God said, I'm going to shed blood on this one. And the blood I'm going to shed with my blood, the Messiah. And so Jesus died. His blood was shed. Why? To introduce the new covenant. That's why he died. All this stuff was for a purpose. 
Jesus died to introduce a new covenant. Why? Because the covenant had to have some blood. Remember, some had to die. There'd be some blood, has to be some separating. Jesus said, I'm going to die, God, and I'm going to shed my blood. And that's why when we take communion, we say the blood is the new covenant. This seals this. Also, this is a sign. When we take communion, it is a sign of the covenant that God made with us. They say, no longer will I pull a balancing scale and see how much good you do versus how much bad you do. I'm done with that. The new thing I'm going to do with you is write my law and change this heart of yours so it's not deceitful and desperately wicked anymore. It's my heart because it has my law on it and it has my words on it. And so because of that, I'm going to die to shed blood to show you that this covenant is serious. And so when we take communion, when we drink of the wine of the Jews, what we're doing is we're using it as a sign. We're remembering, oh, yeah, this is a covenant that God made that he would forgive us and never remember our sins because we're going to get a brand new heart. We're going to get a brand new control center. We see it again in 1 Corinthians. We read that all the time. And this brand new heart, this brand new control center is for all people. Last one, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, starting at verse 7. Paul is talking to the church of Galatia and he's talking about justification through faith. And he's going back and he's talking about Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham. And he gets to seven. He says, you know, then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now, the scriptures saw in advance that God would justify the justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying all nations will be blessed through you. So what Paul said, listen, remember this covenant here with Abraham? Oh, this wasn't just for the Jews. This was for all people. As a matter of fact, this was the blessing to all people. Paul said this covenant here. Proclaim the gospel. Paul said this was a proclamation of the gospel all the way in the Old Testament. Remember the gospel, the good news? I'm going to do something. You will be blessed. Paul said this came back here. That was for all people. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who also had faith. And jump down to verse 14. The purpose. Why did Christ die? The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ. So he could receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood to introduce, to usher in the new covenant. I said, I'm building a whole new relationship with you, humanity. All this stuff you was doing before, cool, but it led to this. And so when Nicodemus showed up in John 3, God said, Nicodemus, you need to kill that and put a new one in there. You have to be born anew, and that birth has to be from above. The law and the words of above from Yahweh God have to be implanted on your heart, and that is the only way you can see the kingdom of God. Not change your lifestyle, not get a friendly, not read your Bible, not go to church, not be an usher. All those things are cool. Not help a ladies cross the street, not live by the golden rule, not keep your nose clean, not stay out of trouble, not don't make a lot of noise. It's cool stuff. But if your heart is still the same heart you started off with, you are condemned and you're going straight to hell. 
This is the message that Jesus told Nicodemus. This is the message that we as the body of Christ need to share with the world. Salvation, the kingdom, only comes through a heart transplant. We need a new heart. That's the only way. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We pray, God, that we will live with the new heart that you give us and not try to go get our old heart and kind of fit it back in there and try to think our own way or do our own things, but that our heart will be your heart based on what you did for us on Calvary, God. We thank you, God, for never giving up on humanity. We thank you, God, that all through the years you made those covenants, those covenants, those covenants, all to lead to this final powerful covenant where you yourself shed your own blood to solidify it. We thank you for that, God. We pray, God, that we'll live a life, as Paul said, based on all this, based on the power of magnitude of this, that we will live a life worthy of this, God. And I pray, God, that you will help us be witnesses to people in the world. Let them know, God, that all the nice friends and as good they are and our family members, they are going to hell. They have the wrath of God on them and they will die in their sins if we, the body of Christ, don't let them know that they need a heart transplant. Well, I pray, God, that you would give us the boldness, God, and just a common decency to tell those we love and tell those around us what you did, who they are, where they're going, and the only way to get into a right standing with you. We love you in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you'd like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash F-O-T-W church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash F-O-T-W church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly. So remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.